Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. Well, as we've said, today is the beginning of our fall campaign this year, and, and we're talking about the mercy of God. We're calling it Project Mercy, and today I want to talk to you about when you need mercy the most. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. How many of you need mercy in your life? I want you to know I need mercy in my life. In fact, if you think you don't need mercy in your life, you might want to think again, because the only person who doesn't need mercy is a person who's perfect. I'm not perfect, so I need the mercy of God. I think we probably all need the mercy of God. We all need mercy in life, especially we need mercy from God himself. And that's why I love what Lamentations tells us in chapter 3 that says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning Great is your faithfulness. He is faithful to give us his mercy. I'm so thankful that God renews his mercies every single day of our life. And in effect, what he's doing is he's promising that whatever we face in life on any given day, Jesus is more than enough for you. He's more than enough for me. He's got all of the comfort you need for your soul. He's got all the strength you need to live for him. He's got all the favor he wants to bestow upon your life. He's got all the mercy that you might need. You know, mercy is God saying that instead of judgment, we get his favor. And it all happens because God's mercy through Christ that's the gospel message. That is the essence of the gospel message. It's, what, it's why we call it the good news, that God wants to give to us mercy instead of judgment. He wants to give to us blessings instead of disowning us or, or, or not having his favor upon our lives because of the way we live our lives. He wants to bestow upon us his goodness. Then that is the good news. Did you know that the word gospel literally means good news. The good news is that we don't get what we deserve. Isn't that good? Have you ever gone through a tough time in your life? You, we all have. Gone through a tough time in your life and you've thought to yourself, or you've said to yourself, you know, I don't deserve this. I think probably most of us have thought that way about something that we've gone through in our lives. And you know what? You're right. You don't deserve whatever's going on in life. This is going to be hard to accept, but this is the truth. The truth is you and I deserve much worse than what's going on in our lives. We deserve God's judgment. We, that's what we deserve because of our sin. It's because we're all sinners. Sin makes us an enemy with God. In fact, Paul tells us that in the book of Ephesians. He says, uh, those of us who know Christ, once we were enemies of God. In fact, people who don't know Christ continue in that relationship. They, they are estranged from God. They are enemies of God. Sin puts us in a position 
than to receive punishment from God instead of his blessings. But the good news is that God offers a way out of all of that. And that's who Jesus is. He's God's answer. He's God's way out to our sin problem. And that is the good news that you and I can take upon ourselves. But here's what I want you to understand about this. This all happens because of God's mercy. It's God's mercy that makes this change in our lives so possible. That's why we need God's mercy renewed every day, because we need him to continue to change us every day. But you know, we also need mercy from other people. We need mercy from God, but we also need mercy from other people as well. A few years ago, Pastor Sid and I were driving down Bangor. I was driving, and, and he was uh, just riding in the car with me, and, and we were heading northbound on, on Bangor, and I came up over this little rise in the road, and when I got up to the other side of the rise in the road, I could see that there was a motorcycle cop that was sitting in the center median of Bangor. And, and I could see he had something in his hand, and I knew what that something was. It was called a radar gun. And so I immediately looked down at my speed, and I noticed I was doing 12 miles an hour over the speed limit. And I thought, oh, you know how your heart sinks when you realize you've done something wrong and you got caught? You know, as long as you're not caught, you don't feel bad about it. But when you get caught, <laughs> then you feel bad about it, you know. And I looked down there, and I said to said, oh, nuts, I'm speeding, and there's a cop. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but a motorcycle cop has one purpose in life. One purpose in life. And that's to hand out tickets. That's their one purpose in life. They don't have anything else that they want to do. They want to hand out tickets, as many of them as they possibly can. I'm exaggerating a tad bit, but not a whole lot. Now, he was sitting in, he was sitting in the middle, the, the median part of Bangor, and I was in the left lane. And so when I came up over that ridge and I saw him, I looked down at my speedometer, and I'm going too fast. I just thought, you know what, you've, you're been, you've been had. So I just started slowing down, and then I pulled over into the median, and, and I stopped my car right next to his motorcycle. <laughs> <clears throat> he, he, was, he was just starting to throw his leg over the motorcycle to come after me, and he saw me pull up right next to him, and he starts laughing to me, and he says, man, you're making my job easy. And, and I told him, I said, well, I'm so sorry, officer. I said, you know what? We were just talking. I was wrong. I, I wasn't paying attention to my speed. And, and, you know, I looked down when I saw you. I looked down. Oh, no, I'm 12 miles an hour over the speed limit. Back then it was 50 on Bangor, So I was doing 62 miles an hour. And um, you know what that officer did? Because I owned up to it. And because I didn't try to blame Sid, which I easily could have done, <laughs> it's his fault. Give him the ticket, you know. I owned up to it, and I said, you know what? I did wrong. I'm going to take my punishment for it. Because I said that to him, he gave me a warning instead of giving me a ticket. It's like that's unheard of from these guys. He gave me a warning. They have one purpose in life, to give a ticket they don't give warnings, but he gave me a warning instead of a ticket. And I just rejoice so much in the Lord because now my wife could buy another pair of shoes. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, which is, by the way, she's in Kansas City today. So that's why she's not here. She'll be back uh, tomorrow. But I got mercy from that guy instead of getting what I deserved, instead of getting the punishment that I deserved. And you know what? We all need that from other people from time to time. 
But Jesus said, we only get this mercy. In, in Matthew there, he says, we only get it if we give mercy. Look at it again. God blesses those who are merciful, for those are the people who will receive mercy. If you need mercy in your life, then you need to be a merciful person. So in a way of thinking about it, mercy must become like the foundation upon which you build your life because it's mercy in you towards others that qualifies you to receive mercy from other people. And that's why this is so important. So thinking about the word mercy, exactly what is mercy? If I know that God is merciful... What does it mean that God is merciful? If I know that I need mercy and that God wants me to give it, what is it that he wants me to give? What, 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 what am I looking for in my life? Well, the word mercy in Lamentations 3 comes from a Hebrew word that means kindness. It means favor. It actually means pity. It means goodness. So it says that his mercies are new every morning. It means that God's kindness towards us is new. Listen, God's favor upon you is new. It's renewed every single morning. His pity and his goodness is new for you every morning. And then if you go over into Matthew chapter 5, the Greek there, it literally means compassionate and merciful. So there's great compassion that's been given to us. When we are compassionate towards others, we receive compassion. That's what Jesus is saying. So if you, if you intertwine those thoughts from the Hebrew and from the Greek, I think a great definition of the word mercy that we could understand today would be this. Mercy is undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. We get what we don't deserve. I know it's hard for us to all accept and think because in, in our society today, we think we all deserve only the best. But the reality is because we're sinners, we deserve God's punishment. It's his mercy, which is undeserved, that gives to us his salvation instead of his punishment. That's, that's what happens. That's what's being offered to us. And that, folks, is the gospel message. So I think it's important for you to understand that the gospel is not um, God setting up a new religious organization. He's not renewing an organization. That's not what the word even means. The gospel is the good news. That's what it means. That simply what God wants you to understand is that he has for you and for me undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. Now, the gospel is not a new set of rules. It's a new change of heart that comes to us because of God's mercy. It's our old heart that gets us in trouble with God. So he gives us a new heart that can give us the blessings of God that can, that can bestow upon us the blessings of God. And it's his mercy that gives us that. So if you were to find the, the ministry of Jesus, it would be with this word right here, mercy. He was merciful to everyone, was Jesus. Now, some people say, well, Jesus was all about love. And he was about love. But love has to be expressed for it to mean anything. 
Or it, it, it doesn't mean anything if it's not expressed. And the way God expressed his love for people was through the mercy of Jesus. Mercy is God's love in action. It's God's love doing something. So when we are merciful to people, that is God's love flowing through us to touch other people. When that cop didn't give me the ticket, that was God's love in him flowing through me, whether he knew it or not. It was God's love flowing through me, through him into my life. And that mercy is available, the Word of God says, to every one of us today. Because it is still true in 2017 that his mercies are new every morning. So uh, I was reading this book from Rick Warren that we're going to be studying during this uh, fall campaign. And in his book on mercy, he says that there are specific times in our lives when we really need the mercy of, when we really need mercy most. And I want to share with you three of those times this morning. Number one is when you feel ashamed. You need God's mercy when you feel ashamed. Well, why do we feel shame? We feel shame because we have sinned, because we have done wrong. And that brings shame upon us. You know, most people don't like to hear that, those kinds of words. It isn't politically correct in our culture today to tell people that they've sinned. It's not even much politically correct to tell people they were wrong. We think that, and we've bought into this lie from our culture that we've got to tell everybody that they're okay all of the time because if we tell them that they've sinned or that they've done wrong, it's going to damage their psyche or ruin their self-esteem. But you can't fix something until you know that it's broken. It's when you know that it's broken, you can move towards fixing it. You know, when my wife had cancer about nine years ago, if the doctor would have taken the approach that we're just going to ignore the cancer and just let it work, it'll all work out in the end. If we would have done that, you know, she never would have found the cure. It took the truth for her to be cured. And it's the same thing with sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They tried to hide it. They tried to pretend that it wasn't there. In fact, they tried to hide themselves. When God came down in the cool of the evening, like he regularly did with them, to, to talk with them and to walk with them and to fellowship with them, they weren't anywhere to be found. Now, he knew exactly where they were, and he knew exactly what had happened. But they didn't show up. They were hiding from God. Well, why were they hiding? Because they were afraid. So when God asked them, why are you hiding, Adam? Adam said to him in Genesis chapter 3, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid. Well, why was Adam afraid? Verse number 7 tells us it's because they had sinned. And the sin brought shame. Their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt what? Shame. Shame is a great barrier between us and God. And you know what? We as a race of people have been afraid of God ever since. It's because of our shame. We're ashamed of what we have done. I've had people tell me, you know what, if I were to, ever, you know, you invite them to church, if I were to ever walk in that church, the ceiling would cave in or something, you know. What they're saying is, I've lived my life so bad that the whole place would collapse if somebody as unholy as I walked in, into the building. 
But that's just so untrue. The reality is that the lie of hell is convincing you that God has no mercy for you when the reality is God has all the mercy you need to cover all the shame of your life. The Bible tells us point blank why we are ashamed. Romans 3.23 says, Everyone has sinned. We fall, all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everyone has sinned. That's the key there. All of us have. So if you walked into this place thinking you're the only sinner in here, listen, I've got to set you straight. Because the reality is the only difference between a person who has a, a, a relationship with God and a person who does not have a relationship with God is not the sin issue because we've all sinned. It's not, it's not like, well, people who know God have never sinned. That's just not true. We have all sinned. That's what that scripture says. The only difference between a person who knows God and the person who doesn't know God is the forgiveness issue. The, the people who know God have been forgiven, and they've been forgiven because they've received the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God in their life. And so therefore, the shame is gone because he's removed the guilt, he's removed the bitterness, he's removed the shame out of our hearts and out of our spirit. It's his mercy that, that has, has caused this to all happen. It's all from his mercy. But his mercy, this is what I want you to understand, must be received for it to do you any good. See, some people hear me talking like this and they think, well, everybody is automatically just covered by God's mercy and everybody's saved. Everybody in the world. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that the mercy of God is given to us in the gift of salvation. And like any gift, the gift of salvation must be received for it to do you any good. You've got to accept the gift. Otherwise, the gift just dangles out there. And it doesn't apply to your life. It doesn't change your life whatsoever. But if you do receive it, this is God's promise to you. John 1.12. To all who received not it, but him, Jesus, he gives the right to become children of God. All they need to do is trust him to save them. So we become a part of God's family because we accept the mercy of God. And when you receive the gift of his mercy, it takes care of all of the shame. You can walk out of here a clean person, a renewed person with a new slate, with, with, with your sins totally blotted out and covered over by the power of God's mercy. Aren't you glad for that? Hallelujah. That's what Jesus does for us. Number two, you need mercy when you feel angry. You know, my, almost all anger in our lives comes from either fear or frustration. Anger is a warning light, kind of like on your dash, your car or something. It's in the dash of your life, of your spirit, that you're afraid, that you're frustrated, and that's creating the anger. But the deal is, anger can be more than just an emotion. Anger can also have deep roots spiritually. And this is where it becomes hard, because it can become a stronghold in your life. Anger by itself is not necessarily sin. Paul the Apostle admits that very thing to the Ephesian believers when he says in chapter 4, verse 26, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So in that particular verse, Paul is conceding that anger has a place in our lives, and I believe that it does. We should be angry about certain things in life. We should be angry 
when injustice happens in the world, when there's injustice, we ought to be angry over that because it's wrong. We, we, we should be angry about racism because it's wrong. We should be angry about, um, about human trafficking. And, it, and it's horrific and it's terrible and it's happening all over the world, including the United States. And we, we should be angry over that and cause us to get motivated to do something about it. We should be angry about the killing of unborn babies through abortion. These things should anger us as God's people. But what Paul is saying here is that it's really easy to let anger morph into something much bigger. It's easy to hate sin, and that's the right thing to do. We should hate sin. But oftentimes, our anger morphs into hating the sinner right along with it, and that's wrong. We say we hate the sin, but it's very important that we don't hate the sinner as well. I love how the New Living Translation renders verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians 4. It says, don't sin by letting anger control you. That's the deal. When anger controls you, that means you've let it stay in your life way too long. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Get, it, get rid of that, you know, in your life. For anger gives a foothold for the devil. It gives opportunity for the devil to establish a stronghold in you that you never intended. That's what anger will do. Now, in most cases, anger is the result of inner conflict. Some people don't like themselves. They have conflict with themselves, and so they take it out on other people. That their anger at others is really anger at themselves because they don't like who they are. For other people, they feel like victims, and so they have anger. So they explode. They overreact. Small things become huge, way out of proportion. They're at war with everyone because they feel like a victim, and so they're constantly lashing out. Some people are angry because they feel like they're not good enough. They feel inferior to other people. And so to, to, to cover up their own weaknesses, they lash out at other people. But here's what I want you to know. None of us is good enough. That's what the Bible t tells us. None of us is good enough. We've all got weaknesses. We've all sinned. And none of us is sufficient in ourselves. And that's the way that God made us. He made us that way to help us to understand that we really are dependent on other people if we want to succeed in life. We are dependent on God and we are dependent on other people. If you were totally sufficient in yourself, then you would never admit that you need God in your life. If, if, you, could if you had no weaknesses, you would never admit that you need anybody else in your life. God made us with all of our weaknesses to help us to understand that we cannot make it on our own. We can't. We need him and we need one another. And when you acknowledge that with your life and let the pride go out of your life, the anger begins to subside. It begins to heal. You begin to change. The answer to all of this is God's mercy. It's mercy that changes your heart. It's mercy that heals your heart wounds. 
Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, I understand what you're saying, but I've been angry for so long, I could never change. And for some of you, you have an anger stronghold in your life. There's no doubt about it. Listen, that's becoming more and more prevalent in the, in the culture today because there's a spirit of anger that's been released upon the, the face of the earth. Have you noticed it? People are angry everywhere. That's not just happening. That comes from hell. Hell is doing that because we have walked away from God and we don't have the protection of God upon us like we once did as a people, as a society. And so not only our society, I'm talking about around the world, there's anger like we've never seen before. But God's mercy makes change possible. You may think, I could never change. But mercy of God changes our hearts. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, As you know him better and better, he will give you through his great power Everything you need for living a truly good life. If you want to be changed, it's his great power. It's his mercy that makes that happen. So don't write yourself off. God's power working through his mercy makes change possible in absolutely every single one of us. Number three, we need mercy most when we're afraid. Only a fool, I believe, would go through life unprepared for what you know is inevitable. Death is inevitable. Death is universal. And we all like to think that it's way out there somewhere, but I don't have to worry about it. But that's not true because another thing I've learned about death is it's unpredictable. You know, 58 concert goers jammed into a, an area in Las Vegas two weeks ago, and absolutely none of them thought that would be their final moments on the earth. But it proved to be that because of the insane conduct of one man. And so today, 58 are gone. And I was reading just this past week that 34 people have now died in the fires of California because it's gone that fire has spread so fast, whipped up by the winds, that people just even couldn't even... That's hard to even believe, that they couldn't get out. But there are like over 300 still missing. And you know some of them are victims of this fire. And I was... I, just, just to myself yesterday, I, I, I went on the internet and I checked to see how many people have died in, in the disasters that we've seen over the last few months here in the United, just in the United States, in Puerto Rico, in, in the hurricane in Florida, the hurricane in, in Texas. And if you add all of it together, plus the shooting down in Las Vegas, plus the fires, a total of 261 people have been killed. And none of them thought that they were facing their last moments on the earth. And I imagine that that will go much higher as more victims are found. What I'm saying to you this morning is that none of us knows what's going to happen. And without faith, that's a fearful thing. If you don't know God, if you, don't, if you haven't made peace with him, if you haven't received God's mercy in your life, then you're going to be fearful about death. You probably don't even like to talk about it. I, Carrie and I had some neighbors that lived across the street from us back in the 1980s. And they were like that. Unfortunately, we had a little girl age about two, two years, three months, who
who died of sudden infant death syndrome, lived right next door to Carrie and me. It was just tragic, you know. Our hearts just went out to the family. Just before the funeral was to take place for this little girl, I was, I was across the street talking with this, this older couple. They're about 20 years older than Carrie and me, and I just happened to ask him, I said, are you guys going to go to the funeral tomorrow? He said, oh, no, we don't go to funerals. And I knew what he was saying. What he was really saying was, we are so scared of the subject of death that we avoid it at any cost. We never go to funerals. Here's the truth, though. Staying away from funerals doesn't mean you stay away from death. It doesn't make death go away. Being young doesn't disqualify you from death. Having a lot of money doesn't disqualify you from death. You know, some people, they have this idea that, well, all we got is life here on earth, so you, hold, you hang on to it as long as you can, but when it comes to an end, there's nothing on the other side. But that's just not true. You say, well, how do you know it's not true? I know because the grave of Jesus Christ is empty today. He rose from the dead. And that's how I know that there's something more after death. In fact, this is what he promised in John eleven twenty five. He said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. There is life on the other side. But what you make of the next life is decided by what you do with this life and the choices you make now. And the most important choice you can make is to receive the gift of God. And that gift is Jesus. And it's the mercy of God given to us that we might be saved. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.